curious, competitive, compassionate. Salespeople are drawn to their careers in much the same way musicians are drawn to music. Once you've learned the language of sales, the beauty is in your ability to personally interpret what you've learned to suit your personality, your interest, and your skill. My name is Roger Burnett, and this is the So You're In Sales podcast, where we consider ways to grow as people as we advance in our careers and learn firsthand from those ahead of us on the path to accelerate our journey. I'm lucky to get to talk every two weeks with entrepreneurs, business owners, thought leaders, authors, and people of all walks of life, each with a unique story to share and a look at their lessons along the way. Prepare to be educated, informed, entertained, and inspired. This is the So You're In Sales Podcast. The So You're In Sales Podcast is sponsored by Social Good Promotions. Social Good Promotions was founded on the premise that any business can stand out from their competition when they are doing things they really believe in. True success these days is measured by the ways your employees feel about working for you and the ways your business is making the community a better place. Ultimately, it's about the ways you and your business will be remembered. If you're looking to grow your sales revenue while activating social good at the same time, we'll be your favorite marketing partner ever. Book a meeting with us at socialgoodpromotions.com, follow us on Instagram at sogoodpromo, and let's get connected. We've done great work using our unique and effective strategy. Let us show you how. Now, on with the show. The U.S. economy was a frightening place in 2008, and job prospects for new college graduates like today's guest Mike Langford from Turtle Hut Internet Marketing were scarce. In today's episode of the podcast, we take a look at the ways that disastrous economy not only affected the ways college grads from that era had to look for employment, but also shaped their attitudes about work success, and on the tactical level, what it takes for entrepreneurs and small business people to straddle the line between sales and marketing while growing your revenue line. Mike's a pretty smart marketer, thought it would be a really interesting conversation, it turned out to be exactly that, give it a listen. So thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. What led you to, what has you sitting in this chair, working for Turtle Hut Internet Marketing, that... Um, got you to the, the moment where you said, I know that I'm doing the thing I'm supposed to be doing. Not having an aversion to risk. That's what got me here. Go, risk, go. Well, risk-taking behavior in general. Yeah. I mean, you, look at, you look at careers, you look at lives. Um, the, the one thing that I think I did right was not saying no a whole lot. Uh-huh. Opportunity comes up, you just go with it. Follow it. Did you start that way, or did you get to that? Uh, I think I started that way, to a fair degree. Um, what are you going to do? I mean, I had a, a girl tell me in like ninth grade that I wasn't outgoing enough, and oh. uh, not that I not that I expect your listeners to uh, know me personally, but uh, that is not really the case anymore. <laughs> <laughs> was was that the impetus that like? Hey. Yeah, that's probably right about where it started, where I was like, oh, man, well, I can figure this out. I guess what do I have to do to get from A to B? Uh-huh. Well, and you were you were small-town guy. I mean, that you know, so was it a classmate? Was it a... Oh, yeah, it was in school, ninth grade, whatever. 
I'm pretty sure it was ninth grade. Might have been middle school. So freshman year of high school. Something like that. Hey, you're not outgoing enough. And you're yep. like, game on. Let's yeah. go. Pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. So what manifestations of that came to life as a result of you saying game on? Oh, literally everything. From there, I, I, I've always been an outgoing guy from that moment forward. Uh-huh. Because uh, I'm one of those people, if you give me a challenge... Uh, I'm going to knock it out of the park. That's just what I like to do. Uh-huh. Uh, and that was pretty much it, man. I mean, from that point on, things kind of fell into place. Uh, I, uh, I was in sales. Well, I've been in sales my entire career. But uh, I got into sales initially um, mainly because I thought I should because I was a hell of a talker, and that's what everybody said. Um, turned out I really liked it. Mm. I, uh, I don't think that people should get into sales for money. This is, if in, when I interview people, um, if the first thing they say after I say, why do you want to be in sales? Why do you want to do X? Uh, if they say, oh, well, you know, I'm here for money, I know that they're not going to make it. Yeah. Um, because it's just too difficult. There's too much rejection. Uh, it, there's too much self-starting that needs to happen. Yeah. And uh, it, it's... You, you have to actually like what you're doing. Otherwise, you got maybe like two years in you before the stress gets you. Right. So um, I just figured out I can take a lot of stress. And uh, I, I just genuinely enjoy it. If you kind of look at things as a consultative process um, and you just really enjoy getting to know new companies, helping new people, um, solving problems, watching companies grow, that's where it's at, man. It's a new challenge every day. For, for me, it was always so, um, the way the story goes for me was um, my mom and I were hiding, laying on the floor of our house because there was somebody at the door. And I said, why are we hiding? She's like, well, there's a salesperson at the door. And I said, well, but mom, lots of people come to the door. The mailman Chuck comes to the door. Uh, the newspaper guy comes to the door. We don't hide from anyone. Why are we hiding from this new term? Yeah. And she said, well, salespeople uh, don't go away. They try to sell you things that you don't need. Uh, they won't leave until you forcefully make them leave. So oh, yeah. I would rather avoid the interaction in its entirety yeah. than to be in, you know, have to, have to go through it. So... Let's just say I was seven then. So imagine 11 years later when people start saying, oh, Roger, you'd make a great salesperson. Don't say that to me because what you're basically telling me is I'm going to be good at something I've been taught is bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I probably felt the same way for first four or five years. When I was young, uh, we were just entering into uh, the uh, Great Recession. <laughs> really? And uh, that's, that's your that's your uh, benchmark point is yeah yeah I, I was getting out of college right when uh, the recession the whole world hit. went to hell. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it, it was a it, it was a hard going market and everything when you were looking for jobs back then I wasn't as good of a networker back then as I am now when you were looking for jobs back then uh, I can remember you know Monster and Indeed all that stuff was not new uh, but still kind of in its infancy sure wasn't. Uh, uh, really well thought out like it is now. Uh, I remember looking at jobs and I, I was always, you know, I went to school for marketing 
And uh, I was looking for marketing jobs, marketing jobs. That'll be really fun. And what I realized is that literally everybody back then that posted a marketing job it was, was a just sales. sales. Job. It was just That's sales. A sales job. Job. <laughs> and I kept thinking, I'm like, man, no, marketing and sales are different. Those are completely different. And yes, today I still agree with that statement, but um, really they're intrinsically tied. Mm-hmm. And what I realized was it, all of those sales positions back then, I was just somebody's outbound marketing, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, that, and that's how it went to. That's what it went. Um, I went to several of those job interviews when I was young and I didn't really know what was going on. And then you realize that there's like 40 people there and they're hiring everybody. Like you go in and oh, fog the mirror. <laughs> all right. You're all you're good. In, come on. You're in. You're in, buddy. <laughs> But uh, you have a unique set of skills, sir. Yes, yeah. You, right out of college with no meaningful experience, have a unique set of skills. Well, and you know, it was hard back then. I, I had done some uh, really great internships uh, that I couldn't turn into a job because mm-hmm. the money wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had fun doing the internships, I learned a lot doing the internships, but. If you really look at it, what I was doing didn't add a whole lot of value to the company, and that's why they were taking interns. Uh, after that, I, I had to be a risk taker back then because uh, that time period set a lot of people who are now, you know, 35, 36, 37, 38. It set a lot of us back quite a bit. I, uh, it set an attitude within that. I, I guess we're technically the first couple of years of millennials. Um, it set an attitude. Yeah. And that attitude was, why try? Yeah. And there's so much defeatist attitude in everybody from back then. And, uh, I, God, I hate that. That's no way to live. There's yeah. no way to live at all. Well, man, you know, so that, that I guess those 10 years between you and me, uh, for us, right, so uh, Gen Zers, we were really like, we were the homeowners. We were the, we were. Yeah, we, you we guys got in, hit in a totally oh, different way. Oh, it's, it's, but what's interesting about all of that is um, my parents' generation, if you ask them, where were you when JFK died? Yeah. They all will be able to tell you. Yeah. For us. 9-11. 9-11, right? And, and then you uh, wait seven years and the whole world fell apart again. Yep. Right. And so it's a lot of uncertainty. Well, what I think for you, like for you guys, like the, um, I'm not going to take a risk because the rug is going to get pulled out from underneath my feet. For us, we were encouraged to take the risk Mm -hmm. and then the rug got pulled out from underneath our feet. So in a lot of ways, we're both informed by that moment yeah. in different ways. I remember right. growing up, my dad was always telling me, uh, I, I was really fortunate. Um, I had parents who talked to me like an adult, a uh, novel concept, I know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I was lucky. I learned a lot about money. I learned a lot about investing. I learned a lot about work from my parents. And I don't know that that's true with everybody, but it definitely was for me. And I remember my dad telling me, you know, oh, man. Uh, property, you know, it's always a good investment. It's always going to rise because he'd lived his entire life that way. You right. think about that baby boomer generation where, yeah. you know, uh, home ownership was the American dream. Well, and beyond being the American dream for the baby boomers, it's their investment vehicle of right. choice. 
you know, land. They're not making any more of it. You know, that's that's the, the always the thing. Right. So um, it was just different, and I had I had to hustle because um, I I I wasn't going to be one of the defeatists. Uh, I really didn't like mediocrity. I really didn't like working in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. You know, I just didn't. It's fine for whoever wants to do it. It wasn't fine for me. It's just not what I wanted to do. I wanted to think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I took a lot of risks because I still looked back on the lessons that I had learned from my, from my folks. And at the heart of it, most of everything good that happened came from a risk. And it doesn't have to be you know an unresearched risk. It doesn't have to be a ridiculous risk, but... Sitting at home on your hands doesn't really help you grow all that much. Yeah, that's so, oh, man. You know, if if your palms don't get sweaty, you're probably not taking enough of a risk, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, in in anything, uh, one thing that I've told a lot of the sales guys that have worked for me uh, in the past is that you know, if you're not taking flack, you're not over the target. Mm. Old World War Two thing. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's but that's the truth. Um, and it just all boils down to that. I mean, my dad, we, he wanted to be a pilot and uh, everybody in his family, his, his, he, he didn't grow up in the same kind of house that I did. Uh, everybody in his family told him that that was stupid. Mm. You're never going to do that. Well, that's what he did. I mean, that's, he retired from that. Nice. And, uh, so he realized his dream. Yeah, he really did. And he that has a way of getting passed down to the next generation. Yeah, realize, right? yeah, it, it really does. Uh, there's a, there's a ton of meaning in that. I, genuinely, every time people ask me about this, I say it comes down to your capacity to take risks. Yeah, and I've failed plenty of times. Sure, way. don't get don't get me wrong. Sure, I mean it hurts, but. I think we've already established I'm pretty good with rejection. <laughs> so what what was the manifestation of the risk? What what were some of the incarnations of things along the way that you said? Oh, applying for jobs that uh, everybody in the world would have told me I wasn't qualified for. Just go for it. Yeah. You know, I got to a point where uh, maybe like a year after the recession hit, um, I wasn't I wasn't cute anymore. I, I wasn't just out of college. I was not right. a year out of college. Right, right. And uh, I had gotten laid off from a job. The the company was going to go through a buyout, so they laid off a whole bunch of people, and I was brand new, so I immediately got sure. terminated. And I worked in a restaurant for a year because I couldn't find anything else. No, yeah. pay bills. Yeah. Um, I wasn't going to live at home with my parents. You know, I stayed where I was. And I kept taking risks, but I was I was working in this restaurant, and uh, I at one point, this was just before I kind of got one of my first real breaks. I uh, I said, you know what, uh, this is too comfortable. It's it's easy to pay my bills, um, but you know I don't have good life habits right now. I'm staying up real late because because uh, I'm working and all that stuff, and yeah. going out drinking with all these people and. It just, it, it wasn't a good path. I, it, it wasn't tenable. And uh, I literally told the manager there, I said, well, I quit. And uh, she said, oh, man, that sucks. You know, uh, we really hate to lose you. And I go, no, I mean, like right now, I'm done. I, I have to make myself unhirable. Like, I cannot. <laughs> I'm out. I cannot come back here. So I'm leaving. 
uh, not giving you any notice, <laughs> and I'm out. I have to put myself in an uncomfortable situation so that I grow. I didn't tell her that because it's not her business. Right. Um, but that's what I did. And, man, that two weeks after that was the struggle of all struggles, hustling my butt off. Yeah. And I ended up, uh, through networking, getting an opportunity to work for a marketing firm in uh, sales. And that kind of changed everything. Huh. And that didn't turn out well, don't get me wrong, but that was the first one that got the ball rolling. Yeah, yeah. Because so. usually once you get there, staying there is easier, right? Yeah, but yeah. It's, it's getting easy. fired is even easier than that. That was really fun. <laughs> I got fired after about four months. Uh, well, I don't know about you, but every great success story usually has at least one of those. Oh, yeah. Oh, them, man. Right? That was that was when I figured out that I was really good at handling rejection <laughs> after a couple of drinks. <laughs> and that theme continues. <laughs> but uh, the good news was it, it set you on the path towards what you had said you wanted. Yep. And I figured out I could do it. I could do it with uh, with nothing. No real experience behind me. The internships that I had didn't prepare me for that. Right. They didn't prepare me for that position. Um, and uh, what happened, The my boss, who had hired me there, quit, and they hired somebody new. Uh, and he came in with his own staff sure. and fired me his first day. Yeah. That's how it always goes. That's yeah, it's business. Yeah. The guy yeah. doesn't know me. He doesn't owe me anything. So, uh, so uh, let me ask you this. So um, having straddled that line myself, um, when I was... A territory field sales rep and people would talk about oh marketing I always sort of bah what's that (laughs) but in reality um, there is definitely a distinction between the two oh yeah so in your mind where do you come out on the line between what you believe is the difference between what the salespeople do and what the marketing people do um, well, it's, it's really easy uh, to define it. Marketing is lead generation, usually. Um, it doesn't really matter what the marketing a- uh, activity is. If you're out there branding, if you want brand awareness, if you want people to uh, be immediately recognizable, Nike, Coke, whatever the heck it is, uh, if that's what you're after, the whole reason is so that people will buy your product. And what that does is it keeps the sales guy busy. Mm-hmm. So in sales, there are uh, inbound sales, which come in from marketing, from lead generation, and there's outbound sales. Uh, Go out there and get it. And every business has to have some type of mix of that. Some may even think that they don't. Some may think that they can rely on inbound sales, but they're probably not growing. If they are growing, it's it's because they have an amazing product and the market hasn't caught up to it yet. There's a whole bunch of different reasons, but um, marketing is an activity that drives new business into the door. Mm-hmm. Sales is an activity that takes new business coming in the door and gets them to sign on the dotted line and write a check. As the business size diminishes, the delineation between sales and marketing oftentimes is far more difficult to sort of separate out. A hundred percent. I think that that's a mark of a good growing business when you can finally separate that moment where you finally have the realization that um, I'm not going to grow because I simply don't have the time. And you, you, you have to make a choice. Mm-hmm. You're either a great marketer and you have a great mind for it and you can really make a lot of informed decisions and you know, that's what you're going to do. And you're going to hire somebody in sales. 
that that is one path to it. Another path is a owner who really understands his clients and really is great at crafting those relationships and building on them. And so then that person says, I need to hire somebody for marketing, however that happens. You know, once you've broken them apart and it's not just you slaving away doing both, uh, I think that's probably where you're past that acceptance hump. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's just a, it's a good economic indicator to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I, I use oftentimes the term if only, if only I could X, right? And a lot of times when we're dealing with the business owner, if you can get them to arrive at that sentence, it'll tell you a lot about where their needs really are. If only, if only I could spend more time on this thing. And a lot of times it's, if only I could spend more time getting more orders out the door. <laughs> and if that's the case, then you definitely need a marketing team because the only way to get yourself an opportunity to get more orders out the door is to get more business in the door. Yeah. And um, oftentimes the small business owner often is also the main salesperson in the organization because they have the passion for what they do. No one can communicate it as well as they can. Oftentimes, a buying decision gets made not because of whatever it is that's being sold to that person, but because of the personal relationship that that person creates. Oh, yeah. Right? People don't purchase products and services. They buy other people. People, right. That's right. all there is to it. Right. So so if we're talking to the small business person, which most of the people who listen to this will be, where for you is the demarcation point where you say... This is when when you arrive at that discussion point. This is when you probably need to call Mike. I think you're. I, I think you're pretty much right on the money there. The if only. Um, I think that's a good statement and a good way of thinking. If you've got the vision, if you can take a risk, then you need to grow. You need to bring more people on. You need to step back a tiny bit. No one man can do it. And even if your business is what you consider small. You have to offboard some responsibility somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike Rowe said at one point, "Don't follow your dreams. Follow opportunity and bring your dreams along with you." Yeah, like it. Very few jack of all trades are truly successful. Yeah, totally. People who specialize become successful. Specialize in what you're good at. Even if it's something that you don't necessarily enjoy doing, mm-hmm. if you can, if you're good at it, like let's say you're good at sales. Some people are very good at sales. Uh, the reason being is that they're reluctant. They don't really like being in sales, so they don't do the quote unquote, you know, standard sales guy stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and they end up really doing what. If you go to good quality uh, sales training. You're going to learn that salesy stuff doesn't work. There's no point in doing it. There's no point in doing it. Smell it from a mile away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All that stuff is junk. So sometimes you get the the owner who's great at sales because they're a reluctant salesperson. Mm -hmm. They're not going to do that. They they intrinsically know uh, that that slimy crap is no good. And it, it's not because they, they don't think it's going to work from a sales perspective. They know that nobody wants to hear it, so they don't do it. Yeah. They're just forthright. They're, they're, they practice consultative sales. 
if you're not learning from other people's mistakes, if you're not learning from other people's wisdom, you're not reaching your potential. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair to say in literally any field. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just I meet a lot of salespeople who go, I don't need sales training. I'm the best. I'm the best. I like that attitude. Don't get me wrong. Sure. But yeah. if you're not taking the advantages that people give you, you're not. You're not the best. And it doesn't matter what you do. There's always something better. Keep punching up. Uh, we talk about um, levels of competence, right? So <laughs> you go from unconsciously incompetent to consciously incompetent to consciously competent to unconsciously competent. And the two extremes are the, the death. So mm-hmm. if you are so good that you don't think about it anymore, you are leaving money on the table. Yep. And it's because you believe that you've reached the pinnacle of your ability when in reality, conscious competence is the best because you know the things that you're not good at. Mm -hmm. And so you either find someone to compliment you where you're weak or you're seeking to develop that part of your skill set to give yourself an additional level of competency, right? And in the sales world, it generally means you become a sales manager. (laughs) That's how it goes. I mean, I have this theory that uh, everybody gets promoted to the level of incompetence. Most salespeople don't make good sales managers. And the worst of it is you've killed yourself twice as a company because you've taken yeah. one of your best performing people yeah. and now you've put them in a position to fail. Mm-hmm. And typically when they fail, they leave. Yep. So you've taken one of the people that was driving your economic engine and you unplug that. Yeah. And you set them up in a situation where they no longer uh, really realize the to- to- totality of their potential. And because you, you will, you will lose money moving into sales management from sales in the beginning, especially if you're uh, as an entrepreneur or small business owner, especially if you're the first one. It changes things a lot. Yeah. Um, to come out of the field like that, so. It's a dangerous thing. All right, so so talk to me about Turtle Hut. So when when uh, I'm a business owner and I reach some point in what's going on that I say I probably need somebody to help me with this part of what's going on. Yeah. Well, that would be marketing. That would be internet marketing specific. Uh, most marketing companies um, that do anything in the sphere that we do, uh, they try to do everything. Uh-huh. Um, they want to do branding. They want to do Strategy, because all of this is it's a line item when you're going to charge a client. That's all there is to it. And they might have the staff to do some of this effectively. They want to get into uh, buying airtime, buying billboards. We want to um, rebrand. I want a new logo for you. We're going to redesign everything. We need to do a user experience study and figure out what colors we should be using. And we're going to do this. We're going to do that. Uh, oh yeah, sure. We're gonna we're gonna bring in leads too. All of these activities ostensibly bring in more business. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we know that those are not our strong suits. My strong suit is finding a return on investment okay. directly, okay. very directly. has to be quantifiable with data. The easiest way to do that is online. It's, if you're going to market, you've got more robust data online. I can follow somebody from their first click to their phone call to their web entry 
I can figure out if they become a sale or if they were simply a lead that didn't turn into a sale. I can shift budgets between different campaign activities that lead to a higher probability of a sale. I can do everything that we do with an eye on a cost per acquisition okay. for a company. Okay. Um, and then I can get all that data together and hand it to the company and say, here, what do you think? Well, the whole strength, I, I should say, of internet marketing is having that data um, where we can say, hey, you know, this is, this is what we are seeing come through the front door. What are you seeing on the other side of the door? Uh-huh. Um, and there are disconnects. Uh, at one point, we had a client who uh, they were in a home service industry, and we're seeing like 40 leads a day going in the front door. And none of them are coming out the other end of that door. Huh. And so we have an angry client that says, hey, you know, what in the hell? And we said, well, let's see what's going on. Like, I want to look into your business just a tiny bit on the other side of the door because I know exactly what happened on my end. So we started listening to the uh, recorded calls because uh-huh. we're doing call tracking. It's sure. a data point for us. So what we hear is the phone rings. Somebody on their end picks up and goes, yeah, what? Oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, hi, I was calling about XYZ service. Yeah. Uh, schedule an appointment. What, uh, Tuesday. Tuesday, 2 p.m. Oh, boy. Tuesday, 2 p.m. That's it. <laughs> okay. See you then. You know, and not even that. I, I can't even make myself as curt as this was. Yeah. And so you have to imagine if that's your first client experience... Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to be bad and zero mm-hmm. right there. Mm-hmm. So a couple of quick changes and a couple more months go by. 40 are walking in and they're actually making it there. Right, 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 right. So, and it was because we had that information. Mm-hmm. And I can't get a real deep dive on every company. I don't know what your sales team does. I, I don't know what your sales process is. I mean, I do. When we, when we are with a company, we like to have this insight into what's going on on the other side of the door. Um, but you know, my data points only go so deep, right? Data is very important. I, uh, if, if I have a client and they say, well, you know, I'm using a CRM and everything that you send me comes in, goes in here and I can track it all the way to the sale. I love that. Sure. I absolutely love that. Yeah. Um, that's great data for us. We can be more successful. With a lot of other avenues in marketing and advertising specifically, um, that's not necessarily data that people want to see because you get products pushed that aren't there because they have the best return on investment. They're there because they have the highest profit margin. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, sure. You, you look at um, advertising inventory and that type of environment, all they really care about is selling their inventory. Yeah. I, I need a jeweler's... Uh uh, tool and I'm going to sell you a hammer <laughs> because I because get more money on the hammer than the jeweler's tool. Because right? I sell hammers. <laughs> and if I sell you a hammer, you'll buy nails. <laughs> right, exactly. You know? Yeah. So if I'm listening and I'm considering that perhaps maybe this, this is a skill set that I'm lacking, that um, perhaps this would be an ad for me within the tool belt that I'm actually in need of, what would be the f- first like three things you would want people to be thinking about if they were going to try to make that decision? Like, What would be the, the elements of what would go into somebody arriving at the conclusion that this is something that they should be doing? Uh, it, it's great when somebody comes to us 
and they are, I should say, self-aware. They have mm-hmm. a good profile of what the client that they want looks like. And not even the client that they want, the, the client that makes the most sense for their business, which is not always the same thing. Right. When a client really understands the their numbers, um, this is a thing, I mean, everybody understands that, you know, if you don't know the numbers of your business, then you don't really know your business. But some people understand it a little better than others. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I, I'm a big picture guy, I, plain and simple. This is why I work on the strategy team, and I'm not an accountant. <laughs> My wife's an accountant. She knows all of this. She's very, very much into the details. The strategy guy needs an accountant. <laughs> the strategy guy definitely <laughs> needs an accountant. But should not try to be the accountant. Absolutely not. Uh, online marketing. Uh, it's really like a faucet. You have an ad budget, and uh, I'll tell you this right now to anybody listening. Uh, if you're working with a company that is charging you based on your budget, uh, don't. Don't work with me. Uh, don't even call me. Uh, don't, don't get me wrong here. Um, there should never be any incentive for your marketing firm to make you spend more money. It should not be based on your ad spend. It should simply be a management fee. We do the marketing work. The ad spend comes directly from you. Mm-hmm. I don't. There shouldn't be anybody involved in that mm-hmm. because if you hand over, say, fifteen hundred dollars to a marketing firm for ad spend and they have a margin on that, mm-hmm. even if you know what the margin is, there's so much trust that's going on here to know how much was really spent on the ad spend. Right. And is it really in your interest to spend more? Because there's a point of. Uh, Diminishing, uh, diminishing returns, returns mm-hmm. just like everything. I mean, if you think of advertising online, it's basically eBay. You know, we're we're bidding on individual clicks. We're bidding on clicks for people. We're bidding on clicks based on the industry, based on the keyword. There's all kinds of things that go into this. Um, there comes a point where you can spend a lot more and get a disproportionately small result for it. Mm-hmm. And so once you're in a situation where that benefits the marketing firm, most people go for it, and it's kind of scary, but I got derailed, derailed a little bit there. <laughs> but uh, what you really want is to be able to turn on and turn it off. I want to be able to be as aggressive as we possibly can to grow you in whatever manner we can. Um, some industries, slow growth, steady growth is real growth. That's great. Some industries you need to capture right now, mm-hmm. and that's all there is to it. Mm-hmm. Just volume. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple, there's strategies both ways, and with this type of marketing, it's not like putting up a billboard where you've paid for the billboard and there we go, it's up. Um, we can shut this off. Yeah, I get it. All right, you had one more piece that you had said that you wanted to make sure that we covered. Pitch club. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to me about pitch club. All right. Well. Uh, You'll be able to check this out at pitchclub.com. It's not up as of today, 1216. Uh, we bought the URL from a nice guy in Australia, which has been a real experience. <laughs> I'm just hoping that the URL doesn't come upside down. Okay. Because it's an Australian <laughs> one. so it's, It spins the wrong way. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. It, the water in its toilet goes down the other way. It's, the whole thing's very bizarre. Um, but uh, it's a new networking group that I'm working on. Uh, hopefully we're going to be having our first one sometime in mid to late January. So I'll update everybody on that that wants to. Okay. Um, 
I'm going to be developing a mailing list for this. It hasn't happened yet. It's all fairly new. The website's done, and it will be up at pitchclub.com, but uh, Pitch Club is probably what you think it is. Remember the movie Fight Club? Certainly. Pitch Club. So... <laughs> So we're not allowed to talk about it. We're, no, 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 no. Actually, the first two rules, the first two rules of Pitch Club are that you tell everyone okay. about Pitch Club. Okay. Um, so it's a little different. The, the whole idea is, uh, th- this kind of goes back to just something that I missed. I missed, uh, in college and right after college, doing pitch competitions, that entrepreneurial spirit. Um, I just, I missed doing that. It was good times in those days because... You thought critically, you know, and if you did, if you did truly have a good idea, if you could make it through a pitch and go through or around with a board that was sitting there trying to poke holes in it, yeah. if you got through that, you had a pretty good idea. A lot of times people generally surround themselves with people who are pleasant and pleasant is great, but it's not necessarily what grows you. Sure. Everybody grows under stress. The idea with Pitch Club was, if you have an idea, and, and so there's no presentations ever for any reason, if you try to bring PowerPoint in, you're not pitching. <laughs> you're not. You're not doing it. So that's the real first rule of Pitch Club is no PowerPoint. Yeah, no PowerPoint. <laughs> well, you only have five minutes. So you get up in front of the group. The, the rule is no ties, no jackets. So take those off when you get there. Okay. Um, you go up in front of the group. I, it, this could be a very casual idea. This could be something that you've researched for a long time. This could be something that you're actively trying to launch. This could be something that you want to propose at work. Or if you are a small business owner, um, it could be a growth strategy. Pitch your new marketing idea. I don't care what it is, but you go up, you have five minutes, and then everybody else in the group does Q&A until it's over. So the idea being, you go up, you get the creative juices flowing, you give your pitch, which you need to do a lot and doing it in front of the mirror is not the same type of growth as doing it in front of people. Sure. And I don't know about you. I mean, I have a couple of friends that are do somewhat similar things to me, but most of my friends don't. So if I pitch an idea to them, they just kind of look at me and they go, that sounds really great. Right. You know, that's the end of it. Yeah. Oh, that's, uh, do you have any feedback? Nope. Liked everything I heard, you know? Yeah. Well, that's not growth. I want a room full of killers. I want a room full of people who are willing to say, uh, have you seen this blind spot right here? So you can go into this group, um, you can find people to work with, you can find people to invest, uh, you can find people simply to poke holes in it. Mm-hmm. You can find people that will actually tell you if it's a bad idea or not, mm-hmm. which I think is the, the, the biggest, biggest benefit of the mm-hmm. whole thing. Um, and it's networking. Man, we're going to drink some beers, we're going to have a good time. I dig it. Yeah. So venue, like uh, online, in person? Like- in, in, in person, emphatically in person. That's the easiest way to drink beer. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, no, we, uh, we're talking right now with uh, Joe and Spencer Meyer about using Sailor Training's office uh, on Avis Drive in Ann Arbor off of State Street. Um, and we're going to be doing this monthly. Nice. Yeah, so dates forthcoming. Um, I'll have the calendar filled out. We'll probably have the dates for the whole year. Awesome. Pretty soon. Pitchclub.com, ladies and gentlemen. Not yet, but pretty soon. Thanks, bud. Thank you. Appreciate it. So there you have it. I'm hoping that you witnessed and sensed the overriding theme there in Mike's interview, which is not being averse to risk, or if you are a little bit scared of risk, I guess the idea is to be confident and willing enough to embrace it 
and realize that the risk is what is going to make you grow and most likely allow you to have the opportunity to be successful. I also thought it was interesting the whole if only rule and how to use the if only rule when trying to make a decision about what to do when it comes to growing your business. And when your employees aren't delivering on the client experience, as we heard in that one example, when they dug into the phone calls and realized that the phone call uh, answerer was not answering the phone in a way that was consistent with the marketing message. So there's a lot there. Really, at uh, the end of the day, I think you have to recognize that 08 was an indelible mark on the U.S. economy and had an effect on almost everyone in some way, shape, or form. And Mike and his generation are no different. And it's interesting to see how what happened during that time period has really catalyzed them and uh, been the incentive for them to try to take additional level of risks in their career. Hope you're still listening and still enjoying and subscribing and sharing as we always recommend so that we can continue to bring more guests onto the program and continue the high level of content that we've been known to give you. Until next time.